Hey, good morning and uh, welcome to uh, week four of our series, Iceberg. We've uh, been studying together some uh, beneath-the-surface kinds of issues in our lives. And uh, we've been studying from the book of Colossians, chapter 3 in the Bible. And in fact, if you brought your Bible today, I hope you did, why don't you open up right now and find your way towards uh, Colossians 3 so that we can study uh, together. If you don't have a Bible... Uh, as you came in, you saw on the uh, tables at the entrances, there are some Bibles. Please take one of those as our gift and uh, bring it with you when you come back the next time. Uh, as we've been moving through this series, I've uh, been challenging you and reminding you each week to take at least a few minutes and at least once during the week to read through Colossians chapter uh, 3. How many of you uh, took time to do that this week? Good. Several hands still. And uh, we head into our last week of the series um, this week and I encourage you again to take some time this week at least once, if not more, to sit down and read through uh, Colossians chapter 3. Today I want to focus in on a couple of sentences that Paul uh, talks about marriage and uh, the the beneath-the-surface part of that issue for our lives. Now, when you got married and you said, I do, maybe you thought you were going to have the perfect marriage. But somewhere along the line, it began to feel more like this. So uh, somewhere along the line, you know, you throw in a few kids and you throw in a few in-laws and a few financial problems and you throw in the, the differences between men and women and it can begin to feel like you just keep trying to love each other while this raging battle called life goes on all around you. Well, I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect marriage because less than perfect people are the ones that get married. But I think there is such a thing as a healthy marriage. And Paul gives us some insight in these two very brief sentences about how we can have a healthy marriage. And I want to focus in on that today. Before we look at those two verses, though, I want to go back to the first two verses in Colossians chapter 3 and read these again today. But as I read them, I want you to think about them in light of being married. And here's what Paul says as he begins this letter. Since then you have been raised with Christ, or because of the relationship with Jesus that you already have. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You see, we have a choice to make. 
We have to choose which model for marriage we're going to follow. Am I going to choose the model that we see around us here on earth, the model of our culture, knowing that that model has led to one in five marriages ending in divorce within five years? Or am I going to choose God's model for marriage? And Paul, in these two short verses, gives us a little bit of insight into what that model looks like. Here's what he says, beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Wives, submit to your husbands. Now, many people, I think, have misinterpreted that passage as some kind of heavy-handed, dictator-type role of authority for the man. I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. Now, certainly throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, it is obvious that God teaches that He gives to every husband the responsibility of being the spiritual leader of the home. And with that responsibility to spiritually lead the home comes a level of responsibility and accountability. And husbands, be clear that someday all of us will be accountable to God for whether or not we took on the role of being the spiritual leader of our home. However, I think when you balance what Paul says here with things that he wrote earlier in the chapter, we get a clearer picture of what he's trying to communicate Do you remember what he said to all of us, to men and to women, to husbands and to wives in verse 12? He said this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, that would be all of us, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says those are all, those would be characteristics for all of us. And then I want you to hear what Paul wrote in an earlier letter that he writes to another group of Christ followers in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. He says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for God. I think what Paul teaches here is the concept of mutual submission. Now, what is mutual submission? Well, the word submission means to give way to another, to yield to another, or to put others first. I guess the best example probably ever in all of history of submission is Jesus. Jesus, for the first 30 years of His life here on earth, submitted Himself to His earthly father, Joseph, and learned to be a carpenter. For the first three years, or for the next three years of His ministry here on earth, He submitted Himself to the needs of people. He touched the leper. He mended the mad mind. He healed the damaged psyche and the sick soul. In one of His great moments of submission, He submitted to His followers. One night while they were having dinner, He got up from the table, took off His outer clothing, wrapped a towel around His waist, picked up a basin of water, and He washed feet. And then in the greatest act of submission ever, Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. See, mutual submission is all about serving one another. It is about putting the interest of your spouse ahead of your own. It means seeing life through their heart and through their eyes. It means getting beyond trying to make them conform to what you think they should do. 
Now, I know that's a struggle at times because there are these vast differences between men and women and the way that we see life. In fact, a few weeks ago, somebody sent me some pictures in an email that demonstrate these differences. These pictures were labeled, If It Was a Perfect World for Women. Let me show you a few of these. There would just be two kinds of cars to choose from. You'd either choose a blue or a red car. Then there was this one. Yeah, this would be a, a parking space. In fact, when I got this email, those uh, dots there were actually blinking. Yeah, the ladies don't seem to find that very funny, some of them. But uh, here's another one. Now, this is the perfect world for a woman. And then one more. Yeah, there would be scads of toilet that would never run out. There are differences. But even in the midst of those differences, Paul says if we are going to have a healthy relationship, it is about putting the other one first. It's about learning to serve the other one. Now, when you hear that, you may be tempted to think, well, you know, Jeff, that's not a bad point. Because my spouse doesn't seem very mutually submissive. In fact, they seem pretty selfish a lot of the time. Man, I, I sure hope they're listening And I hope you can get through to them this morning, Jeff. Well, if that's what you're thinking, listen to what I think Jesus would say to you. Matthew chapter 7. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye or your wife's eye or your husband's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying, let me get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log from your own eye. Then, perhaps, you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye or your wife's eye or your husband's eye. You see, if your plan to improve your marriage is to change your spouse, I'd suggest you're on the wrong road. It begins beneath the surface in our own lives, in our own hearts, and changing ourselves. You see, the first ingredient to a healthy marriage is to serve more. For every wife to serve her husband and every husband to serve his wife. It's about putting the other one first. That's the first ingredient. The second ingredient to a healthy marriage, Paul says here, is to love more. Is to love more. Paul instructs husbands to love your wives. But remember, he also said to everyone in verse 14 this. He said, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. He says we are to love more. Now, I think there probably comes a time for all of us where we ought to stand in front of the mirror and ask ourselves, am I really putting my spouse first and I loving them more. We've got to all ask ourselves that probably rather frequently. In fact, let me help you with a little quiz here. If you think, well, I'm putting my spouse first, let me help you to think through some scenarios here. And these are probably more a reflection about my own life than you maybe. For instance, think about this. When you, uh, suppose you go into the bathroom in the morning and you're going in to take your shower and uh, you open up wherever you keep the towels and the little closet maybe. And you notice that for whatever reason, there are only two towels remaining on the shelf. And one of them is a nice, really good, fluffy towel. And the other is old, worn out, like it should have been thrown out months ago. Which one do you take? Which one do you leave for your spouse? 
Or suppose you go into the kitchen and there is just one piece of dessert left, a dessert that you both really like. Do you eat it? Or do you leave it for your spouse? Suppose you get home one evening and there are some chores that need done around the house. Do you do those chores or do you think, eh, they'll do it when they get here? What about if you're sitting around one evening and the phone rings? Is your first thought, if I sit here long enough, I bet they'll get it? Or is your first thought, I'm going to jump up and take care of that? Or, or what about, again, if you go into the bathroom, and I don't know why I'm stuck on bathroom things, but uh, if you go in the bathroom, and you know when the toilet paper roll is getting down to where there's just a little bit left, is your inclination to think, I will tear off just enough that I have some, but I'm going to make sure I leave some so that I don't have to be the one to change the toilet paper roll, or do you go ahead and use it up and change it so that there's a brand new roll for your spouse? See, I told you these were reflections into my own life. I've been tempted to use as little as possible so that I didn't have to be the one to change the roll. What is it for you? So when you're really honest, are you serving your spouse, and are you working towards loving them more? You know, the, the word for love, the Bible uses several different words for different kinds of love throughout the Bible. God uses the strongest word that we find in the Bible for love when He describes His love for us. The, the word that is used for God's love towards us is an unconditional love. It is an I love you, period. It is not I love you if or I love you because... It is not, I, I love you because you are good, or I love you in spite of the fact that your life is a mess. It is not, I love you because of your past or the present. It is that I love you, period, unconditionally. And guess what? The word that Paul uses here to describe the kind of love that a husband should have for his wife and a wife should have for her husband is that same unconditional kind of love. I love you, period. When I uh, have traveled out of the country, uh, both on trips to Russia and to Bulgaria, probably every trip I have found myself at some point in the trip in a room with a Russian or a Bulgarian and no, no one to translate for us. And it's really awkward. You know, because you try to carry on a little bit of a conversation, maybe you point at things or you say things as if they're going to understand you and they don't, and so you repeat it as if just repeating it will take care of it, or you begin to say it a little more loudly like that's going to help any conversation is difficult because you can't communicate because you speak two very different languages. Do you realize that every person has a language of love that they hear and speak? And if you don't know your spouse's love language, then you can try to communicate love all you want to them, but if you're not speaking their language, they're not hearing you. And it doesn't matter how often you say it or how loudly you say it, if you're not saying it in a way that they hear it, there is a communication breakdown. So I, I want to help you to see today, there are five love languages, and there's a good chance you've heard these before, but I realized this week as I was reading through these five love languages that I probably ought to go back every once in a while and have a little checkup on these because I think it is easy to slide from speaking the love language of your spouse back to speaking your own love language and there is a breakdown in that communication. So let me remind you what these are. Maybe you're hearing these for the first time. The first love language is encouraging words. For some people, they hear love best 
when it's spoken to them through encouraging words of affirmation, when you speak words that build them up, when you write them notes or send them an email. This is one of my love languages. And when my wife affirms me with her words, I feel loved. You know what? When we're done here today, you guys could all come to me and say, boy, Jeff, that was a great talk this morning. And I would appreciate that. That would be encouraging. But you know what I really value? is a little later in the day on some Sundays when my wife looks over me and says, Honey, that was really good. Because when she affirms me in that way, I feel loved by her. She doesn't do it every week, by the way, just so you know. In fact, some weeks she has things that I should change, maybe, you know. Second love language is time. And this is one of my wife's love languages. It's about spending time together. Not just accidental time, like, oh, we happen to be in the car driving to pick our kids up, but that it was intentional, scheduled, and focused without distraction. Spending time with someone that this is their love language probably doesn't include returning emails on your BlackBerry while you're together. It's spending time doing something that they enjoy doing and it's focused. And that says to them, they... By just being together like that, that time says to them, you love me. The third is receiving gifts. For some people, they, they feel loved when you give them a gift. Now, not just any random gift, not something you re-gifted to them, but something that was intentional. It doesn't have to be expensive most of the time, but something that you, they know you thought of them when you were purchasing it. Probably not like the guy that I heard about yesterday on the radio. I was listening while we were painting the house. And um, I heard about this guy that was so cheap. I think it's a true story. So cheap that instead of buying his wife a card or his girlfriend, uh, he would take her to Walmart and show her the card that he would like to buy for her and have her read it. I'm thinking if this, if your spouse's love language is receiving gifts, that probably is not going to work. They're not going to hear love all over that, okay? The next one is acts of service. This is when you do things to serve that person. And it speaks volumes of love to them. And again, this is another one of my love languages. And Peg and I are working uh, towards getting our house painted. It seems like the endless project that will never be completed. But um, So yesterday we spent several hours outside painting away. And uh, I did a lot of work over my head. And by the time we were done, I was exhausted. My arms were throbbing. Uh, I'm a wimp is what that really says. But... Um, so uh, we go inside and she fixes some dinner. And when the dinner's ready, she says so. And I, you know, I start to get up out of my chair and she says, no, honey, just sit there. I'll bring you something. And you know what? That was like a huge dose of love that got poured on me. Because you, for me, what I heard all over that was, honey, I love you. I love you so much that I'm going to do this for you. Another uh, is physical touch is another uh, language of love. For some people, their language of love is being touched holding their hand, a pat on the back, an arm around the shoulder, a hug. Now guys, let me say to you, if your wife's love language is physical touch, then for her to really hear love in that, it probably means for her holding her hand or putting her arm around her or hugging her, period. Not holding her hand, putting your arm around her, hugging her, comma. Now if you don't understand exactly what I'm alluding to there, come see me afterwards and I'll explain that to you, okay? Five love languages. Now, if you're thinking, I'm not sure what mine is, I'm not sure what my spouses are, let me give you an aid to help you. There's a website you can go to, fivelovelanguages.com. And there's an easy online quiz that you can take. You just go through and click the responses and take three or four minutes. I did it this week. 
And at the end, it kind of flashes up and says, hey, here's your love languages. You can have your spouse do it. It'd be a great thing for you guys to do and then get together um, and talk about. But here's the bottom line. We need to make sure that our spouses know that we love them. We need to speak love in a language that they can hear. We need to do it regularly. We need to do it often. And we need to make sure that we never leave them wondering whether or not they are loved by you. Serve more, love more. And the next ingredient that I think Paul says that is inherent in his words here is to commit more. To make it the top priority. I am... I heard this great metaphor, a great story uh, years ago, and I can't remember all the details, so I may be adding my own to it, but I think it is a great word picture for how we often leave our spouse feeling when it comes to whether or not they are the top priority. Suppose your spouse every morning were to go to the kitchen, and before they leave for work, they put together a whole bunch of food in a, a brand new brown bag. And it's food for snacks that morning and it's a nice big lunch that they pack themselves and it's some food for snacks in the afternoon. And they fill their bag up and they carry it off to work. And partway through the morning, they get together with some of their coworkers and they consume part of their snack. And at lunchtime, they go to the park and they meet a friend of theirs and they have, they have lunch together. In the afternoon, they get together with some of their clients and they share another snack together. And when the day is all over, all that remains are a few crumbs of leftovers and a bunch of trash in the bag. And they carry this rather beaten up bag back home and they hand it back to their spouse filled with just leftovers and trash. That's often how we leave our spouse feeling because we seem to give our very best to others. And then we bring home the leftovers and the trash for those that we say we love the most. If we are going to have healthy marriages, it means making our marriage a top priority. And it means not using up the best that we have of ourselves on others and leaving the leftovers for those that we love the most. I was thinking about this this week and I thought of some things that I have seen in my marriage, things that I have done as well as some conversations that I've had with other couples about things that we allow to become leftovers in our relationships. One of those that comes to mind immediately is uh, date nights. I think having some nights that you date your spouse are so important to your relationship. And I'll be honest with you, I have done really poorly with this lately because I've allowed to happen what maybe you also have allowed to happen. And that is that we let our schedules get so full of our own activities and stuff that our kids are involved in to the point where there's just no time left. And so we give the best of our schedules to others and we leave the leftovers to the one who matters the most. Maybe uh, for you it's just about uh, talking together. Finding time to sit down and talk. By the way, I heard this about Adam this week. If Adam had been home talking to his wife, Eve wouldn't have been in the garden talking to a snake. Just a thought. We, we uh, rob ourselves sometimes. We use up all of our talking energy with other people. And we don't we're not, take the time to sit down and really talk. I, I was thinking this week about dreaming about the future. You know, I, I can give a lot of energy at the office to dreaming about the future of Crosspoint, to making plans and goals and all that kind of stuff. But I'll be honest with you and tell you, I'm not very good about dreaming about the future with my wife as we move towards being empty nesters in a few years, 
You know, I ought to be spending time with her dreaming about what that will be like. Another one that comes to my mind, very honestly, is uh, we allow our sexual relationship to be treated like a leftover. And we get so busy and we're so tired and we go to bed late and all the things that contribute to that. And rather than making that a priority that brings great intimacy and health to our relationship, we just kind of put it on the back burner. And we, we don't give our best in that area. I was thinking about uh, the fact that sometimes with our, our spouse's faults, you know, there is not much... We're so kind to others. We get frustrated by things other people do, but we're just nice about it. We don't really say anything. But when we're frustrated by the perceived faults that we see in our spouse, we don't give them the same grace that we give others. We give others our best, but we treat the one that we love the most differently. And you probably can come up with your own list of things if you are really honest and you look deeply into your heart where you give your best to others and the one you love the most, you give them the leftovers. You see, this is part of that leave and cleave principle that God teaches in the Bible about marriage, that we are to leave our parents and we're to cleave to each other. The word cleave comes from the word glue. It means that we're stuck together, or maybe a better way to say it is that we are to stick to each other. We are to make each other a top priority. And you want this principle of being stuck together, of sticking together, was not just until we get dissatisfied with the relationship. When God talks about sticking together, He meant for our lifetime. That it is a lifetime commitment. Not just until we get worn out with it or until it becomes difficult and then we jump ship. No, God said you, you work through the struggles. You are to cleave to each other for a lifetime. We need to value each other enough that we will make each other a top priority, that we will commit more to each other. There's a story about Robertson McGilkin. He was, uh, for 22 years, the president of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. In 1984, his wife was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And uh, he began to care for her when he wasn't at work and was doable for a while, but as her condition worsened over the years, she grew to the point where she needed care constantly. And so he was faced with a decision and the leaders at the university begged him to, to stay and to find others to care for his wife because they valued his leadership. But he decided that he more than valued his role there, he valued her more than anything else. And so he made the decision to resign his position as president. I want you to listen because here is the speech that he gave at the university explaining his decision to resign and his love for his wife. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, become very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in stress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. 
And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promise in sickness and in health till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Thank you.